The first lesson is from Acts chapter 4. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. The psalm for today is 133, and we will read it responsively by verse. Oh, how good and pleasant it is when brethren live together in unity. Upon the beard of Aaron, and runs down upon the collar of his robe. For there the Lord has ordained the blessing, life forevermore. The second lesson is taken from 1 John chapter 1. We declare to you that what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, this life was revealed, and we have seen it and testify to it, and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Here ends the reading. Would you rise, please, for the reading of the Holy Gospel? The Holy Gospel according to St. John in the 19th chapter. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, 
Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Grace to you and peace, my sisters and brothers, from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. In the good old days, you remember the good old days, sometime last January or February, when we could actually live a normal life, and I could visit my doctor's office and flip through the variety of magazines that were available there while I waited for my appointment. Now, of course, magazines and so on have also gone in this time of pandemic, removed for fear of infection and virus. But I remember being at my doctor's just before we were shut down last year for my annual physical exam. And I was reading one of those same magazines lying there in the rack on the wall. There were some interesting articles in it, particularly the article which talked about being safe in your own home. And it said that if you want to be safe in your house, then the first thing you should do was make sure your windows were secure, your yard was well lit, and your doors locked properly. Best of all, you should have one of those new devices that my son and daughter-in-law have, where they have this ring thing and you can see people on it. They have an app on their iPhone so that even they can remotely open the door, uh, which is most interesting. And it said these doors, by the way, should be solid core doors with deadbolts and one of those sliding chains. It then went on to talk about not letting anyone into your house unless you had checked them out, preferably by first looking through one of those little peepholes in the door. After all, the article said, some people have been known to gain entry by impersonating an authority figure. So it was best 
to let in only the people that you know. It simply doesn't pay, said the article, it doesn't pay at all to trust anyone these days. Now what struck me most about this article was not the practical advice, which was all very helpful, but rather the overriding assumption, the overriding assumption that we all live in fear. This is a fear that pervades our modern society, a distrust which overrides all our natural desires to be friendly and open, a suspicion of even the most normal events in our daily lives. And truth be told, most of us have to accept that we no longer live in a time when we could answer the door by simply throwing it open to see who was there, or indeed offer a welcome to those we might not know. So we're all familiar with this fear, this distrust, this suspicion, just as we're familiar, perhaps too familiar, with those closed and locked doors. Closed doors speak to our possessiveness. We lock them so that we can keep that which is our own. Closed doors speak to our vulnerability. We latch them and lock them in the hope that they will protect us from a threatening world. Locked doors speak to our fears. We secure them in the hope that we will be safe behind their sealed barriers. Closed doors speak to our watchfulness, our intent to check the authenticity of whoever or whatever approaches before letting them in the door. So the closed and locked doors behind which the disciples huddle in our gospel story this morning are not foreign to us. For like the disciples, we know what it's like to take refuge from the threats of life behind closed doors. But surely, surely the disciples should have been less afraid than we are. After all, the disciples did not have to deal with the memories of school rampages or 9-11 or the random shootings in so many different places in our countries today. They didn't have to deal with people who seemed to rob and kill without the slightest hesitation. And the disciples, they had something that we do not. Something which should have made them anything but a bunch of cowering, fearful individuals. For Mary, Mary and the disciples had been to the tomb and they had seen it empty. The disciples had seen that the burial clothes were cast aside and they had heard the account from Mary of seeing and speaking to the Lord. And you would have thought, you would have thought that with all of that, the disciples would have been convinced of their safety because they had the assurance that all the things that they had been told had indeed come true. But the disciples were probably as cautious as we are warned to be today. They were not prepared to take events at face value. The secondhand stories of the women did not give them a sense of security. Instead, they felt better if they could go to that upper room, shut and bolt the door against the hostile and frightening world which they believed they lived in. 
And so in this gospel this morning, we find them captive behind the barriers they have made, cowering in fear, hiding out from the vengeful attacks which they believed the authorities would launch against them. For they indeed feared that these authorities were bent on destroying all that Jesus had done, that they were intent upon putting paid to this idle talk of people rising from the dead, that they were ready to crush any talk about a faith which could transform lives. So the disciples lived in fear. But they believed, oh, they believed that they were safe behind their locked and secured doors. Yet, my sisters and brothers, yet it was right there behind those same closed, locked, secured, and fastened doors, there in the midst of their darkness and disillusionment, there in the depths of their despair, that Jesus comes to them so dramatically. Having opened the door of the tomb and having raised his son from the dead, God now turns to these desperate disciples and opens the doors that they have shut. In the midst of their chosen isolation, at the very heart of their retreat from reality, Jesus brings them the gift of God's peace. Now such events may seem impossible, a fiction beyond belief, a product of an overactive imagination. But so the gospel writer anticipates us. For now we hear this story of Thomas come down to us through the ages as doubting Thomas. But he was far from a simple doubter. Rather, he was more like a careful critic, someone not easily swayed or taken in by simple hearsay evidence. In this, he's probably much different from those in our present age who seek to verify and prove everything before they are willing to dare or risk or act. Thomas is a bit like our modern skeptics who are not swayed by tales of appearances but instead seek hard physical evidence. But Thomas does not get out to play out his skepticism in the public forum. Rather for him, the story is set behind closed and locked doors. For it's behind those doors that we see the birth of a new conviction, even in the face of doubt and suspicion. For it is just where doors such as these are fast shut, where all possible hope of intervention seems forever past and gone, that God moves to swing them open. And he swings these doors open with such shattering force that those cowering behind them found that find themselves transformed and gifted with God's peace. But it doesn't end there. It does not end there. For now they are sent out, sent out through the remains of these closed and locked doors, sent out from their false security to challenge that cold and fearful world. Has the threat which drove them to seek such shelter been removed? No. Has the world suddenly become a safer place in which to live and raise a family far from it? Have these men and women been given some form of magical comfort? Absolutely not. 
Is this all some illusion, some fantasy, some dream? Again, no. But my sisters and brothers, where there was darkness, now there is light. Where once the rule of fear held sway, now courage blooms. Where once there was need for security, now compassion and forgiveness rule. And Thomas, cautious, skeptical, critical Thomas, well, he hears an invitation, words spoken by a familiar voice, and he beholds the Almighty in the form of the risen Christ. And all of them together, all of them together, this lost, lonely, and frightened group hiding behind closed doors in fear of their lives, these men and women suddenly find those same doors swung wide open by the grace of God. And through those breached doors, there emerge a new Easter people, trained and equipped to bring the world the forgiveness of their God. And the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. My sisters and brothers, as God in Christ presented himself to these men and women, so now he presents himself to us. Despite the closed doors of our lives, despite the shields behind which we all at times try to hide, despite all the fear and anxiety and suspicion which so dominate our lives, the risen Christ encounters us to fill our fearful, troubled, and doubting lives with his peace, his word, his life, and his promise. And this morning, as we gather here in this place to hear again his transforming word, we will come to know that same word of promise and experience that same redeeming love. For in this word, we will experience how the doors of our lives have been flung open by a gracious and merciful God who has come to drive out all our fears and anxieties and bring us to a new light, a new light of grace and peace. And so it is that we find ourselves forgiven and proclaimed to be his children forever. And then, then like those disciples of old filled with the Holy Spirit, we will find ourselves sent out to carry that word and that love into the world, a world which yet remains so full of fear and hate and darkness and suspicion. For this is a world which lives behind its closed doors but longs, oh, it longs to hear from you and from me the good news of God's love and the fullness, the fullness of his forgiveness so that their doors may also be open. My sisters and brothers, by the power of Christ's resurrection, by the promise fulfilled in our baptisms, our doors have been opened, our lives have been made new, our doubts have been erased. Our fears have been put at ease. Now why? 
Now, why would we not want to share that good news with others? Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.